Welcome to Simple Truth, the teaching ministry of Pastor Eddie Turner and Family Worship Center in Murfreesboro, Tennessee. Through the practical and simple explanation of God's Word, Pastor Eddie has taught the Word of God to thousands of people around the world. The following message is from a recent service at Family Worship Center in Murfreesboro, Tennessee. Let's join Pastor Eddie as he shares simple truths from God's Word. If you have your Bibles, turn with me this morning to the 15th chapter of Luke. Luke chapter 15. Luke chapter 15. Let me pull up my notes here. We're so glad you're here today. God bless you for coming on this wonderful, wonderful Sunday. Luke chapter 15, let's begin reading with verse number 11, a very familiar passage of Scripture. I'm reading out of the New Living Translation. It says this, Jesus told them a story. A man had two sons. The younger son told his father, I want a share of your estate now before you die. Children are always so honest, aren't they? So his father agreed to divide his wealth between his sons. He had two sons. A few days later, this younger son packed all his belongings and moved to a distant land. And there he wasted all his money in wild living. About the time his money ran out, a great famine swept over the land and he began to starve. He persuaded a local farmer to hire him and the man sent him into his field to feed the pigs. The young man became so hungry that even the pods he was feeding the pigs looked good to him. But no one gave him anything. Verse 17, when he finally came to his senses, he said to himself, At home even the hired servants have enough to spare, and here I am dying of hunger. I will go home to my father and say, Father, I have sinned against both, against both heaven and you. And I am no longer worthy of being called your son. Please take me on as a hired servant. Verse 20. So he returned home to his father. And while he was still a long way off, his father saw him coming. Filled with love and compassion, he ran to his son, embraced him and kissed him. His son said to him, Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you, and I am no longer worthy of being called your son. But his father said to the servants, Quick, bring the finest robe in the house and put it on him. Get a ring for his finger and sandals for his feet. And kill the calf we have been fattening. We must celebrate with a feast. For this son of mine was dead and has now returned to life. He was lost, but now he is found. So the party began. I'm all about, I'm a party animal. You can tell I'm a party animal. Several weeks ago on Sunday morning, I taught on the subject of grandparents. God's gift to kids. Proverbs chapter 17, verse number 16, or verse 6. Look at Proverbs chapter 17, verse number 6. It says this way, Grandchildren are the crowning glory of the aged. Parents are the pride of the children. Grandchildren are the crowning glory of the aged or of grandparents. Grandchildren are the parents' crowning glory. That's the very reason 
why people will quickly show you pictures of their grandkids. They'll show you more pictures than you want to see. Show off their grandchildren, brag about them over and over. Why? Because they are grandparents crowning glory. Grandchildren are grandparents crowning glory. You say, what does that mean? Well, a crown is a symbol of separation and distinction. A crown signifies superiority and dignity. So you mention the name of someone's grandchild, and suddenly that person's countenance changes. Their shoulders go back, their heads look up, a huge grin cuts across their face, and for the next 10 to 15 minutes, you will hear only great exploits about that child and their accomplishment. Just this morning, as I was greeting people, I said to, I said to Al Deck back there, I said, how's your two grandchildren? He said, they're almost perfect. The slight blemish, and they have a daughter. He said, the slight blemish comes from the father's side of the family. <laughs> They're almost perfect. Grandchildren in the eyes of grandparents are kings and queens. They are the crowning glory. How many grandparents can agree with that this morning? Then we learn the role of godly grandparents. The role of grandparents today is a grandparent is to be a heritage builder, a storyteller, to remind the grandchildren what God has, how God has been faithful to the family. A grandparent should be a relational wall builder between parents and children. How many of you know children, if you're not careful, they'll play one against the other. And grandparents are supposed to be the relational wall builder of grandchildren. Number three, a grandparent should be the prayer warrior for their grandchild. And we talked about that several weeks ago, and then we followed that up with a story, a message on the blended family. The blended family. A blended family is where a child from a previous relationship is included in the family created by a new marriage. Blended families are referred to also as step families. Over 1,500 step families are formed each day in the United States of America. Over 1,500 step families are formed each day. Over 500,000 adults become step parents each year. 37 million parents in America are step parents. 20 million children live in step families. The number of households with stepchildren has more than doubled in the last decade. The reason it is referred to as a blended family is because two adults marry, at least one adult, and often both adults have children. And now the task is to blend two family units into one single family. And the blending of two family units into one family often has challenges that the traditional or nuclear family, mother and father with their biological children, does not have. The blending of two families into one family has these challenges. So we talked about that for a couple of weeks. Today, I want to speak a word of encouragement to parents who have grown children, you have grown children, who, as my grandmother told me years ago, are not doing right. 
I want to talk to parents. I want to talk to a word of it, speak a word of encouragement to parents who have grown children. I'm not talking about little ones. Slap them around, make them do whatever you want them to do. I'm talking about grown children that you can no longer control, and those children are not doing right. We're talking today about how to overcome the pain of waiting for your prodigal to come home. One of the most paralyzing seasons a parent can experience is watching from a distance, and that's what you have to do, as your grown child makes unwise and ungodly decisions that removes them from God's blessings upon their life. It's, it, it is a paralyzing season. It, it, it is the most painful season that I've ever experienced in my life. That when your grown child... And all you can do is watch it from a distance. They start making decisions that removes them from God's blessings upon their life. Almost daily now, almost daily, I receive calls from parents seeking prayer for their grown children who are on our destructive path. They're on a destructive path. First, parents who have grown children, you parents who have grown children who are serving the Lord living a healthy life and making wise decisions, you parents, you need to thank God every day your feet hit the floor. On your worst day at work, on your worst day that your body feels tired and weary, on your worst day that you think things have come against you, it's not nearly as bad as having a child that you don't know where they are or what they're doing. So if you are blessed today with children who are doing right, you need to be so thankful for this blessing in your life. Multitude of parents who are digging out a living, serving in their churches, being good citizens, and rejoicing by faith when they see other parents' children blessed, are likewise living in continual pain Because many don't know where their children are. Or the last time they heard from them was an SOS call from another crisis. So parents who have children doing right, before you get down about whatever's going on in your life, you be sure to be thankful for how God has blessed you. But for those of us, because we went through a season of that, Amanda and I, for those of us who are experiencing or have experienced that season of your life that you have a prodigal, a child that is removed from making wise decisions and is on a destructive path. I I want to speak a word of encouragement to you today from the Lord. Number one, learn to seek your spiritual and emotional rest in the comfort of the Holy Spirit. You're not going to get it from your kids. You're going to have to seek your emotional rest and comfort from the Holy Spirit. When our children are on a destructive path, if the only comfort we get is when something positive happens in their life, we ourselves will be eventually broken. Because when they're on a destructive path, there's not a lot of positive that's going to happen in their life. So you can't be looking for them to have a good day before you have a good day. Or you will be broken. 
Learn to seek your comfort and your rest. When Amanda and I were going through these several years with our oldest son, then all of it, we, we, there was no joy. We, when the phone, we got to the point we didn't even want to answer the phone. And we had to look to the presence and the peace of God to give us our comfort and our rest. And we found hope in this scripture. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 11, verse number 28. Everybody still here this morning? Matthew chapter 11, verse 28. Then Matthew eleven twenty eight says this, Then Jesus said, Come to me, all of you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Let me teach you, because I am humble and gentle at heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy to bear, and my burden is light. When Amanda and I were struggling with our son that had taken a detour from righteous living. You know, if you raised them in church and they've accepted Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, there might come a time in their life they still love Jesus. They're just following him from a further distance than they need to be following him from. And when our son had taken a detour from righteous living, the only rest and peace we could find was in the presence of the Holy Spirit. Jesus said, listen to what he says, Come to me, you who are weary and carry heavy burdens. The word weary literally means the result of being beaten up. That word weary literally means to be beat up. How many of you have ever been beat up? It's the result of how you feel after you've been beat up. Parents whose grown children have taken a destructive path resemble being in a fight that you lose. You can't fix the situation, and it's like continually. Someone is beating and beating you with every phone call, every argument, every crisis. There's no one to hit back. There's no one to attack. There's no one to make pay for the pain you experience. You feel whipped and defeated. When you have a prodigal child. And Jesus said, come to me. Notice he didn't say, this is what you do to fix the situation. He didn't say that. Now here's what you do, one, two, three, to fix the situation. He said, come to me. He said, come to me and I will give you rest. The word rest there in the Koine Greek literally means cessation, refreshment, Make the cease. Listen to what Jesus said. Jesus said, when you feel like you can't take it anymore, your emotions are spent. Your mind and your body is weary dealing with all the stories, all the lies, all the deceptions. Run to Jesus. And He supernaturally, somehow, will give you a season of cessation and refreshment. Look what he says in Matthew eleven thirty. Look at Matthew. For my yoke is easy to bear, and the burden I give you is light. The word yoke here signifies an agricultural instrument that coupled two oxen together. And whereas the traditional agricultural instrument 
is very heavy. It's hard to carry. It was an apparatus that was used to prohibit the animal from fleeing or quitting because of the workload. Jesus said his yoke was easy. That word yoke literally means pleasant, mild, and kind. Then notice what he says. The burden I give you is light. My whole life's been spent around church. They tell me the first place they took me after the hospital was the church house. And being in church all my life and having a lot of church friends, if you've been in church very long, church friends become good furniture movers. Everybody, when they want to move, if they're involved in a church, hey, can we get a bunch of the men at church to come help us move? I have moved so much furniture for church families over the years, my middle name is Haverty's. When I was young, when I was young, my pride was inflamed and I never backed away from the weight of an object. I'd pick that thing up and I'd carry it. It wasn't going to beat me and nobody was ever going to say, just because I was short and just because I went sideways through most doors, I would get whatever I was carrying through. (laughs) Yet the older and the wiser I have gotten, today, when I need to move something, I quickly run to the end that's the lightest. And I let the young guys carry the heavy end. How many know what I'm talking about? Now listen to what Jesus said. Jesus tells us, that when we're weary because of the burden of our wayward children, we need to come to Him and He will give us a cessation, a time of refreshing for our minds and our emotions. Then, when we are ready to engage again, this time we are yoked up or coupled with Him and He will take the heavy in and we get the light in. Amanda and I made it through our family hell with joy when we allowed the Lord to do the heavy lifting with our kid. We couldn't fix him. We couldn't talk any sense into him. We couldn't pay him enough to do right. We couldn't threaten him enough to do right. We couldn't reject him enough to do right. We couldn't sick other people on him enough to do right. We were spent, and the only thing that fixed our situation is when the Lord, all of a sudden, started doing the heavy lifting in our family. So number one, if you're a parent today who have children who are not doing right, seek your spiritual and emotional rest in the comfort of the Holy Spirit. The second thing is the toughest for me, war and prayer... But walk in love. War in prayer, but walk in love. 1 Peter 5, 8 says this, Stay alert. Watch out for your great enemy, the devil. He prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Parents, we must remember, we are in a war for our children. This is life or death. This is not a game. Satan wants your children. He wants to get your children bound. He wants to get our children addicted. He wants to take our children out. He wants to steal, kill, and destroy our children. This is not a game that at the end of four quarters, we all pat 
each other's shoulders and hug and go back to our respective lives. This is life or death. This is eternal futures that we're dealing with here. This is war. This is war. And listen to me, parents. There comes a day when we release our children to follow their own free will. But there is never a day that we cease exercising our spiritual authority in prayer over our children. There comes a day you got to let them go. That's what you raised them for, to live their own life. The Bible says, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife. In other words, there's a, before the, their new life can start of being joined, they've got to be released from the former life. So there comes a time in all of our lives, whether we like it or not, That we have to release our children when they get of age to follow their own free will. But we never, as parents, cease exercising our authority in prayer. We war in prayer, but we walk in love toward our children. And that was my personal challenge when we were going through crises. Is I was misdirecting my anger. I was mad. But I was mad at the wrong person. I was mad at my son instead of mad at the devil. And many Christians have mistaken an understanding. They have a mistaken understanding of anger even. Many see it and any expression of anger as being less than desirable. is not in its downright sinful. Don't get mad. Don't get mad. Let me tell you, you can get mad and not sin. Look at Ephesians chapter 4, verse 26. Notice what the Holy Spirit, through the Apostle Paul says. And he says, don't sin by letting anger control you. Don't let the sun go down while you are still angry. He didn't say, don't get angry. He just said, don't let anger control you. This verse right here tells me that anger can be my servant or it can be my master. Anger can be my servant or my master. When God created Adam and Eve, He gave them the ability to experience anger and express aggression. Anger and aggression is not a result of the fall of man. Before the fall, God said to mankind in Genesis 1.28, He said this, He said, God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and in the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. Adam and Eve had a twofold task. Subdue the earth and rule over it. Without an anger drive or the ability to be aggressive, Adam and Eve would have been unable to subdue the earth or to rule over it. Listen, anger and aggression were part of the original emotional equipment God gave Adam and Eve for carrying out their task. Experienced and expressed in healthy ways, anger and aggression feelings provide the energy and intensity for an effective life. However, because of the fall of mankind, anger has become one of man's worst enemies. When anger is uncontrolled or misdirected, it can complicate and even destroy our lives. I was misdirecting my anger. 
It was okay to be angry, but I was angry at the wrong subject. I was expressing my anger toward my child, which continually drove a wedge between our relationship. Did you hear me? I was expressing my... I couldn't believe what he was doing. I couldn't believe how he was acting. I, didn't, I couldn't believe how he was spending his money. I couldn't believe how he was living. He had never seen that in our lives. He had never been a part of that kind of thing in our lives. We had never experienced that or done that or acted that way or talked that way. I was just, I was just dumbfounded. And then on top of that, you've, you've got two and one acts that way and another one acts like an angel. And they were raised in the same family, the same house. He just happened to take after Amanda's side. She took after... I struggled. I struggled to learn how to love my child. Even while he was willingly doing things which were wrong. I struggled. I would holler at him. I would fuss at him. I wouldn't take his phone calls. I'd clam up on him. I'd threaten him. I struggled. Look at Luke chapter 15. Jesus told them this story. A man had two sons. The younger son told his father, I want my share of your estate now before you die. So his father agreed to divide his wealth between his sons. Verse 13, a few days later, his younger son packed all his belongings and moved to a distant land, and there he wasted all his money in wild living. In this story... We see no threats from the father. He didn't say, if you take that money, don't ever come back here. He didn't say that. The son just got from the father what the father had already agreed to give them. Even though the father understood this was probably not the best path for his son, the father didn't threaten his son. There comes a time you have to release them. This always brings me to the point where I failed knowing the difference between enabling them and blessing them. When is my blessing them turn into enabling them to continue in their ungodly lifestyle? Notice, the father only gave the child what was rightfully his. The younger son told his father, I want my share, my share, what's mine, of your estate now before you die. So his father agreed to divide his wealth between the two sons. The father gave him, the younger son, the same amount and probably less than the elder son. Because in the Jewish context, the elder is the main person who keeps the family lineage going. So usually in an estate situation, the elder would get the most. And this was the younger son. Here's something else to understand. During the, during the son's wayward living, the father did not fund his son's lifestyle. He did not fund his son's lifestyle. I would constantly give my son money, thinking that maybe that would, he would see I loved him and would change. It only gave him more resources to hang out with a bunch of scums. That's all it did. And in this story, the father 
did not fund his son's lifestyle. He took what was his, and then that's all he gave him. Finally, the family blessings were made available again after confession and repentance, after there was a change in behavior. That's when the blessings returned. After there was a change, not a promise of a change. If you give me this, I promise I'm going to do this. No, no. There had to be a change in behavior. And then he blessed him. Well, the question is, what did the father do while his son was gone? What did he do? The Bible doesn't go into detail as to the daily actions of the father while his son was away. But I've learned what a godly father does while his son's away because I had one away. You war in prayer. You war in prayer. You can't beat up the people that are manipulating him. You can't go and threaten them. You can't threaten him or her. You do your war in prayer. What I pray for, Pastor, here's what I learned to pray for, Amanda and I. Praying for a resurrection of his spiritual senses. Remember what the the Bible says, when he came to his senses. When he came to himself, when he came to his senses, he said, I'll go back home. I'll repent. I'll repent. So you pray for a resurrection of their spiritual senses. I was convinced that at 18, the aliens from Mars came and sucked his brains out of his skull. I was convinced. So I prayed, Lord, resurrect his spiritual senses. Look at what Luke uh, chapter 15 verse 24 says. For this son of mine was dead and has now returned to life. He got his spiritual senses back. So pray for a resurrection of his spiritual senses. Number two, pray for laborers to come across their path. Look verse 24. He was lost, but now he's found. Somebody found him. Verse 15 and 16 said, He persuaded a local farmer to hire him, and the man sent him into his field to feed the pigs. The young man became so hungry that even the pods he was feeding the pigs looked good to him, but no one gave him anything. You say, well, they didn't help him. That's exactly what helped him come to his spiritual senses. There was no more funding of his lifestyle. See? So laborers who didn't help him came across his path. And reminded him of what he had at home. So you pray for a resurrection of their spiritual senses. You pray for laborers to be sent across their path. That either help them to see or refuse to help them so they'll remember what they've missed. And then you just stay in faith. You got to stay in faith. Luke 15, 20, so he returned home to his father, and while he was still a long way off, his father saw him coming, filled with love and compassion. He ran to his son, embraced him, and kissed him. He saw him coming from along. He was constantly looking for the return of his son. He had done right. The father had done right. He had done what he said he was going to do. And every day he's looking for the return. You stay in faith. Faith always expects. Faith always expects the answer. 
Thank you for listening to The Simple Truth with Pastor Eddie Turner. Please join us at Family Worship Center, 3045 Memorial Boulevard, Murfreesboro, Tennessee, when you are in the Middle Tennessee area. You can also learn more about FWC at our website, www.familywc.com. Thank you again for listening to The Simple Truth.